0: If there's one thing you need to know about Zach Trinner, it's this. You will never meet a more genuine, driven, and humble person than him. Zach and I first connected on a chance Instagram DM when he was looking for someone to snap with after a short stint with the Houston Texans a few years ago. And since then, Zach has not only become a good friend, but somewhat of a mentor, not only to myself, but numerous other aspiring athletes looking to achieve a higher level of play. What is it about Zach's story that fans find so compelling? I mean, it's really simple. He's the exception to the rule. He didn't go to a big-time college, he didn't get drafted, but he had a hunch that he could snap at a high level. And like Zach, everyone has a hunch deep down about what they think they might be capable of if they just took the chance to dive all in and see what happens. The only difference, however, is that Zach dove in head first. I hope that Zach's story might inspire you to reconsider what you think is possible in your life. His story reminds us that instead of worrying about what if this doesn't work out, to ask ourselves, yeah, but what if it does? Enjoy. If you liked this episode please be sure to drop a review on iTunes. It really helps. Thanks.
1: Just enjoying the, uh, we got a French toast coffee from Sprouts. Oh my God. Spoiling myself this morning.
0: (laughs) Treat yourself, man. All right. Cool, man. So here we go. Um, All right. This is fun, man. I appreciate you doing it. Anyway, here we go. All right, so origin. So most guys don't start out wanting to be a specialist. Um, certainly not something that you hear a lot of kids saying growing up. Everybody wants to be a quarterback or a wide receiver. Um, and being a specialist often finds you rather than you trying to do it. So how did snapping find you?
1: It's it's crazy that all of most of the specialist stories that narrative is exactly true. Like in high school, so I had Coach Reardon in high school, Marshfield High School in Massachusetts. And we were at one of those summer camps and I think we needed a snapper and he knew how to do it, or at least could coach it up enough to, to get the boys right. And I was like, ah, whatever. Like I'll just throw my hat in the ring. Cause those guys look like they're moving a little bit less than the old linemen are down there in the Valley. And I've, <laughs> I've pulled too many times today to care and kick out another DN. So I'm going to go over there and give that a shot um, and ended up doing pretty well at it. It wasn't, it's was just kind of something I had in my back pocket. Um, did a little bit of it in high school. And then in college at assumption, I had a guy in front of me, Sam Prevdy. He was from Brockton. He was a quarterback. He slung that thing. So I, I didn't snap until my senior year of assumption. And that was kind of the same deal where I was like, I can do this if you guys need me to, and I'm happy to get on the field and help the boys out a little bit and, I know my kicker at the time, Tad, was an awesome kicker, so he appreciated a, a snapper that was going to, you know, fill in and be as, as good as Sam was before me. So it just kind of fell into it because I was trying to help the team out and get a little bit more playing time.
0: Yeah, it's funny because – exactly right. Like, most of the specialists that I've talked to, and I'm sure you know, very few of them say I grew up always wanting to kick. It was always something that was, like, cast upon them by by the football gods. Like, hey, you have to get good at this thing.
1: Yeah. And it, it was actually a pretty smooth trend. I don't know why I am – like, the office, like, why are you the way that you are? But in lacrosse, I took faceoffs, and that's essentially the specialists of lacrosse. So, I don't know, for whatever – Whatever sport I dove into, I found, you know, one little area that I could specialize in and kind of ran with it. (laughs) Doing the thing that nobody else likes. And I do appreciate the Toby
0: reference. (laughs) Um, And so kind of talk us through uh, life after Assumption. Um, Assumption was a great, well, still is a pretty good football program, but they certainly were really good under uh, Coach Chesney, who's now up at Holy Cross. Um, What was that? moment like when you thought, hey, maybe I could do something with snapping post-college? The uh,
1: so there was one practice where I so my football instincts have, have always been high. There was there was one practice that coach put in some blitz and if the back were to swing out of the backfield, we wouldn't have had him covered. And for whatever reason, like I, I drifted off with of him because I knew that. And then coach was like, why would you do that? I was like, well, based off this blitz, you know, nothing was going to be covered in the, in the, in the flats here. I just kind of peeled off because I saw him cross my face and he was like, you really saw that. You mean to tell me you really saw that in live action? Like, yeah, like that's just how it is. Like I, I dropped back in high school one time and picked one off in the goal line. It wasn't part of the play. It was just those football instincts that took over. So I've always had a high level of football IQ and that has, has always been helpful, but I never thought that that was going to, I always hoped, but I never thought that it would, you know, get to where I'm at, but there was a practice and assumption where one of our D backs, Darius Daniels was, he made some comment. He, he was always saying something. so it, you know, <laughs> it was probably just in jest, but I took it and was like, Oh yeah, that is, that is gospel. Now. Uh, he was like, man, I can't wait to watch you play on Sundays. And I'm like, really me like it did another one of those plays where you just kind of you know play football and he was like man it's gonna be awesome watching you on Sundays and I guess that was kind of the first time where I was like all right I transferred to assumption because I had that in the back of my mind but shoot someone else has seen it for the first time like this is gonna be awesome
0: yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah and it's funny how like those offhand comments are like i think the people making those comments don't think anything of them but then like your entire life trajectory changed after that right Uh, because i remember when i was in kicking in high school like my jv coach was like you know kicking is a thing in college i was like what like football they do football in college and then like you can kick too and um
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can do this yeah Yeah, it just takes one person to be like you know you're on the right path. if you, The path doesn't just end, right? You can keep going. Like, all right, right. sweet. Now, now, you
0: didn't first start out at Assumption. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually started out playing lacrosse
1: in college? I did, yeah. So I, I played lacrosse at Siena, which is in upstate New York. Um, again, so I was the the specialist there. I took face-offs. I played midi in high school, but my, my foot in the door for playing early on in college was to take face-offs. We did really well, won the conference, we won, I think it was the MAC, and then we lost to Syracuse in the playoffs, but we played the likes of Duke, Johns Hopkins, Syracuse, all the big name schools, so it was awesome.
0: Yeah, so playing at a high level is, is nothing really new for you, and I think, a lot of, um, I think a lot of young kids, and we'll talk about this later, but I think a lot of young kids try to be snappers or kickers or punters first when in actuality, it definitely, it, it helps to be a better athlete. Um, Would you say that that's kind of been your experience? Like you're, you've always considered yourself an athlete who happens to snap rather than just a snapper who
1: snaps. I would say that's fair. Yeah. A lot of, I think if you were to look at a lot of youth sports now, like there's a lot of specialization, like I'm only going to play basketball or I'm only going to play lacrosse year round. And if you were to ask any of the guys in the locker room now, like none of the guys specialized, like LeBron played football in high school. Like all of these people played multiple sports, as many sports as you can, because kind of going back to those, the football intelligence, like you pick certain things up that are crossovers, like from basketball, like the way that you play help man defense in a small area is going to be helpful in front of the crease. If you're playing lacrosse, like, those things are really tough to practice and really tough to pick up. If you're not going to, you know, play all over and kind of break that, you know, the way that your mind is seeing th- certain things, you need to be able to show it a different angle so that it can improve. So Right. I would definitely say like play as many sports as you can and don't specialize and kind of like let that fall into it as opposed to forcing a specialization.
0: Yeah. I mean, you see kids hyper specializing in baseball and blowing out their elbows when they're 12 and, you know it's like i mean especially it's interesting now that that covid's happened especially in the northeast you know football did happen but it was it was privatized kind of similar to like a private lacrosse league or prep soccer league then football has always been immune to that just because it's such an intense sport but it would be interesting to see what happens in the next couple years or so if if club football becomes as big a thing as like club lacrosse and and all that so um so when you um so when you're uh when we're talking about getting to where you are you, you don't get there without having you know a a couple mentors um who Who might be one mentor that you count as someone who has helped you reach the next level or, or maybe you've got a couple of them?
1: Yeah, so there's one that that comes to mind anytime that the question gets asked. Sean Morey was or is a marshfield alumni. He went on to be a Super Bowl captain with the Steelers. Uh, he played for the Cardinals, um, and he was a special teams guy. So there's actually a pretty good story. I think he got in a fight with Ty Law in training camp, year, like years and years ago, and that is how he like brought that blue collar Marshfield mentality to the NFL. And he did a a special teams focus camp in Marshfield, and like brought a couple of his boys that were teammates at the time, and kind of game back, came back and poured back into Marshfield and. It was, like, the first time where people came from the NFL. You watched, like, the guy that came from your high school come back and be like, hey, guys, like, this is kind of exactly what you're saying, where, like, he just kind of laid out the path of, like, hey, if you guys keep going and just, like, work your tail off, there are a bunch of people that think special teams are above them, and you can make a heck of a career out of exactly what you're doing, like, just kind of cracking skulls and busting your ass. But so he came back and was like – there's there's two sides of the story so he came back and you know really showed what hard work what being a good person could do and that opened my eyes up and you know if you were to go back a few years prior to that there was another football camp where you know local town and they're like there's a guy comes up and speaks to the whole camp and he's like you know have your head on your shoulders like get in the books because you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning not once but twice that's a those are better odds than getting to the NFL. So, like, don't even try it. So, fast forward now to this special teams camp. And this guy's like, it's really hard. But, like, if you guys bust your butt and, like, you'll at the very least get to a call, you know, D3 or some kind of college offer that you might not have if you didn't play special teams or, like, you know, put that effort in. So, that was really eye opening to me. And then, if you fast forward even farther out, when I was making the transition from Assumption to the NFL, There was a a specialist, I think it was one of the special, I forget which one it was, but there was a specialist camp out on the West coast and we were going through Arizona, Tad and I, who was my kicker at assumption. We made the trek over and ended up staying at Sean Maury's house in Arizona because I had called him and he had linked me up with, he went to Brown. So Zach D'Aussi at the time was snapping for the giants and he kind of helped me out. So you know, just that one – the one camp that he did in Marshfield, I guarantee you he didn't expect anything in return. But just by doing that one camp, he inspired me, and I am where I am, certainly a large part due to, to Sean Maury. And I think
0: what – you know, in the same way that you've been mentored by, by these guys, um, you also kind of prior to sticking with the box when you were going through the nomadic stage of being a free agent, you coached and mentored quite a few – um, high school and, and college long snappers in, in the Northeast area. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, I guess you've you've worked with quite a bit of these guys and some NFL guys coach kids, some don't. I mean, you just have a busy schedule. It's just not possible uh, to, to do that while you're playing. But I guess from working with these guys and their parents, what are, what are some of the things that you see guys maybe getting wrong about long snapping training,
1: whether it's in high school or, or college? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think most of the guys that I work with, I'm just happy to get a bunch of guys together and throw the ball around and, you know, get some work in with a different set of eyes. Or if, right. if there's a high school kid that's working on something, I'm probably working on the same thing. It just looks a little bit different than his. So I certainly get a lot – I get equally as much out of coaching those guys as they do working with me. But if there's probably one thing that those guys are getting wrong, it's probably twofold. So one of them would be like only focusing on snapping, right? So you stay in that two-by-two box – and you throw it to your dad or you throw it to your brother or your friend that's catching a ball and you don't move mm-hmm. as opposed to that's part of it. But you're going to have to run down the field. You're going to have to be agile. You're going to have to run around. right? So the, the, the hyper specialization, the term that you used, would be staying in that box and just throwing a ball. And that's important. But a lot of what's going to separate you from the guy that you're competing against for that scholarship or that starting opportunity you got to have you got to pass the eyeball test. So can you run? Can you avoid someone? Can you make a tackle? Like those things are are a lot harder or a lot more harder to see tangible improvements, but you have to be able to do that. And I think that's one thing that those guys get wrong. And then two is when a lot of these camps come up, a lot of the guys like they aren't as vulnerable as they should be. Like there's a camp coming up and like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not going to go to that. Like, no, go to that thing. Like you you might come in last place, but that might be the last time you ever come in last place because you went, you saw the guy in first place and you realize that he's not as good as you. Or there's the guy who finished number two is actually a pretty similar snapping style. And you were able to absorb that one little thing that you were you know, coming up short on your own snaps like man it just keeps tailing to the right or like you keep hitting him in the shoulder and then you see this guy in warm-ups do the same thing and then he self-fixes it and you go talk to him and you're like hey what'd you do here he's like oh i just rolled my hand out a little bit farther wow okay now this is the last time i'm ever going to come in first place because that's the that was the hurdle that i couldn't get over right but i think that would be the second part of just increasing your vulnerability so you can you know continue to improve
0: Yeah. And I mean, knowing you and for a couple of years now and, you know, other guys at that level, I mean, you, you are very good at self-study. I mean, I would, everybody kind of works with a platoon of different coaches and whatnot, but it's always funny because anytime you're working with a snapper for the first time that I've been there, it, it always happens. Like as soon as you, as soon as you take a snap, you take out this like half inch thick moleskin notebook and you're jotting down like three to five bullet points on some of these snaps and, you know, I guess I'm curious, like, what are, what are you writing down when you're, when you are snapping? Because a lot of kids would think, oh gosh, you know, Zach's at the NFL level. He, he's got it. He's set. Um, but you actually take copious notes or um, I've seen you take them. And so I guess kind of talk us through what your, your personal reflection process is about becoming your own snapping coach. Because I think a lot of kids will go to a lesson and they'll expect some magic wand to happen this like magic moment where oh everything clicks and i finally arrived but you, you actually kind of take a different approach where you're continuously coaching and teaching yourself could you talk about what that process is like
1: yeah 100 so there's one of my um, i forget where i heard it but the a white belt mentality like if you think you've made it you you're probably about one step away from falling off the edge so i just i try to keep a white belt mentality in order to continuously improve because if you think you're at a white belt mentality like you're always you should easily be able to go up to that next belt so that's at least one little mindset that I I try to have and remain humble and keep that white belt mentality so two in terms of the notes and stuff it's it's one of those things where I I came from finance, so I'm big into the hedge fund, private equity space. So Ray Dalio has a book and essentially the book is about radical transparency. Right. And it's, it, it's kind of on the same thread as the vulnerability piece. But when you go out and and snap and you film, like everybody has that feeling of after you do that and you go look at the film and something goes wrong and you're like, I really don't want to watch this. Like the guys that get to this part or like this level of success, are the ones that just are able to go through that uncomfortability and watch that film and then use that film to improve. Like those days are actually the best days because now you're going to be able to improve. But the, the notes that go on are, it's, it could be a combination There's I have a whole bunch of them, but it's just a matter of like, can I take out all of the judgment and all of the subjectivity and look at things from a strict, lens of objectivity can I if the ball is going up why if it's going to the left why if it's going low why if I'm not confident why like all of those things are going to help me for tomorrow improve and hopefully not stay where I'm at but just continue to slowly improve every day so it's it's a a combination of Like swing thoughts is something that I took from John Carney. Like those two little phrases that you have as you're going through a practice or a game that you lean on. Um, Fundamentals and techniques, like it, it just depends on what's happening that day. And if I get, I guess the best way to give you an example of what those notes are is like if there's a day and my hands feel off or my ball's a little higher than normal, then I can go back and look at the notes. And at, at the end of each session, I can say like, okay, this is what was happening. This is what I was feeling. And then if that, if that feeling arises again, I can now go back and look as to how did I get over that? How did I improve that? Instead of just getting to that feeling going, oh, shoot, like I, I'm terrible. I'm never going to you know do anything and kind of letting that spiral happen just objectively looking at it, going back and saying, okay, here we go. Here's what happened. Here's how I got over it. It took three days, blah, blah. So it's, it's a lot to unpack, but I I hopefully I can shed a little bit of light by that explanation.
0: Yeah. No. And do you feel like, and it's something I've seen working with younger guys and, and maybe you've seen it at a higher level. Do you feel like there's some difficulty with blurring the line between your personal worth and your performance. Like, so for example, if you're young, if I was working with a young athlete, like if they had a great, if they hit a re- great ball or it had a great snap, suddenly they're a great snapper or they're a great Johnny. Right. But if they have a bad couple snaps then like that death spiral happens, do you feel like a lot of like younger guys don't know how to compartmentalize it as well?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And in the, I think the harder part is when you do start to do well, Um, our special teams coach Keith Armstrong is, is really good with like, don't get bored with, with success. Don't get bored with what it takes to be at this level. Like it, success is monotonous doing the same thing over and over gets monotonous, but being able to find passion within those monotonous moments is essentially how you succeed at anything. So the, yeah, I do. I think that that would be one thing that I would say. Yeah,
0: yeah. That that's actually, I think that's a Gary Keller quote from that book, The One Thing. Uh, it's called the Monotony of Success. It's like as soon as we figure out something that works, we get bored with it. And we're like, oh, we got to try something else now. Um, right. But um, but yeah, it, it is. It, it can be a slog. And so let's let's kind of transition a little bit into. You've talked about. Um, kind of how to deal with depersonalizing your performance and looking at things objectively a lot of young specialists sometimes feel pressure or they feel um you know nerves or something like that prior to a game i was kind of curious would you mind describing what your approach to maybe the mental side of snapping is and then maybe two or three pointers you might give to a young specialist who might be better than they're showing on the field but they just can't seem to get out of their own way
1: yeah, 100%. So I, uh, let's see. So the, I um, want to make sure I I get my thoughts in order as opposed to ramble and then lose my place.
0: That's, it's okay. <laughs> this is a long form Tim Ferriss-esque podcast. So
1: um, yeah, I think one thing that helps me is I pray constantly throughout the game. So I think some people can look at a snapper or anyone in the NFL and just assume that they're immune to all of those feelings. Um, but I think it's just a matter of being able to deal with them. Like those feelings don't go away. So if, if you're trying to find a way for those to go away and be like, all right, how do I get over all this? Let me know. Um, Cause I'm still, <laughs> I'm still working through that as well. But um, one thing that has helped me is I will start every morning um, the same. So, Ray Allen, one of the best three point shooters of all time, he's known for doing the same thing, eating the same thing, going to sleep at the same time and controlling as many variables as you can. So I tried to take that away from I haven't done the same lunch and the same dinner, but my breakfast will be the exact same. My morning will be the exact same. And that starts with waking up, opening the Bible, journaling a little bit based off of that. And then I have the same breakfast. Um, And then that's how I start the day every single day. And that the reason why I bring that up is because most of the time when I get to those games or get to those feelings of uncertainty, I'm just getting in my own way. And I just have to remember to trust God's plan and trust that what he has for you is good. No weapon against you shall prosper. Like all of these things are just nice little reminders that if you get out of your way, like it'll be okay. And you know, kind of sifting through that and sifting through all those hurdles is, is challenging. But if you dive into the word, that's a, a really, really good way of, of, of starting to get through all of those challenges.
0: Gotcha. And it definitely, you know, knowing you personally, like I, I know you have a, a strong amount of faith and I was just kind of curious, you know, to share to the extent you're, you're comfortable, but what, what was, I guess, does your um, I guess has being in the NFL changed your your faith or strengthened it so for example like it's quite strong now was was it always like that or was was your faith more of a more of a recent journey that you've had um yeah I I guess if if that kind of makes sense so in other words like what what role has your faith played in in this uh in your snapping career
1: yeah so I think early on I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, and then it kind of fell away, went to Assumption, which is a Catholic school, um, had some really, really good friends and teammates around me that I could kind of watch and see how they carried themselves, and um, it was always kind of there, but I I guess I kind of took it off the shelf for a while, and it wasn't until shoot, probably in between assumption and the NFL where I packed everything up, I drove in my car. I lived out of my car in California for a long time um, in order to make this thing work. And it, it was probably that where I was like, man, I stripped away everything and what's left. And, you know, that was God's presence. So it, it certainly wasn't always strong and I don't, I'm not the strongest Christian ever. Um, I just try every day to get a little bit better at it. But um, yeah, I'd say luckily the pressures of the NFL are so much so that you it's really difficult to do by yourself. So uh, you know, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of good guys in the locker room that I can lean on and help me with with my faith journey. And I certainly would not be where I am without it. And I'm just grateful for where I am in that journey
0: yeah and it, and it definitely it seems like whatever most guys have very you know quite strong faith that, that I've encountered from the NFL and but you know faith or, or something else it seems like most guys have to have some type of support network faith or, or something else whatever you want to call it that they can use as their bedrock. Um because you are you are living in a microscope and I think a lot of guys or a lot of people watching it on Sundays like kind of forget that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um and so let let's you mentioned kind of living out of your car in California. Um and I think a, there's a lack of appreciation for what the you know, what what the life of a free agent long snapper might be like. Um and kind of the ups and downs of, of how nomadic that was. So would you mind kind of talking us through what, what that path was like from assumption college until you eventually found a home with the box? that was a couple of years. Um, so would you mind just giving us the cliff notes uh, for that? And maybe what that, what did that part of your journey teach you about yourself?
1: Yeah. So that was about three and a half years after assumption where I finally made uh, an NFL roster. So I was working for Fidelity. Um, got my Series Seven. Got my Series sixty three. Was all licensed up. Was selling mutual funds to clients in Long Island. And in between all of those calls and all of those sales pitches, I would wake up before work, work out, go to work, and then after, go ahead and work out again, and you know, sometimes you get a call early on. It was the periods between calls for a lot longer, but, you know, originally you get a call and then you go to mini camp and then that's kind of it. And the next year you get two calls and then that's kind of it. And then the next year you get like four calls and you're like, Oh man, I'm kind of gaining some momentum here. And then eventually, you know, I'm the guy that's, that's up. Right. So if a snapper goes down, I get a call and I'm, I'm on the next plane out and there there came a point where i don't know if you've ever seen batman before but there's a point where he he's climbing out of the the hole i believe it's the prison and everyone else ties the rope around them and they jump and they come up short and they fall but they have the rope right so the only way that he makes it out of there is he cuts the rope and he jumps and it kind of goes back to that vulnerability piece but you got to trust like you got to be able to jump so i was working for fidelity they were they couldn't have been better. Um, they said, you know, as long as you're a good person to work with, you're hitting all your numbers, like we'll give you the leniency to go do these workouts as long as you promise to come back. If it doesn't work out. Sure. That sounds like an awesome opportunity. So eventually I get all these calls and I get the workouts and you hit a certain point of success where you're like, man, I'm really close, but there's like one thing that's holding me back. And I don't necessarily, it's, it, it wasn't necessarily that fidelity itself was holding me back. It was just that I was like 99% committed. And if you're going to do it, you got to be a hundred percent committed. So I cut the rope. I quit fidelity instead of taking the leave of absence that they had granted me. Um, And I mean, lo and behold, like five months later, I make it. So that's kind of the, the little story that I like to tell on that aspect. And then from there, I was working for a moving company, a friend's moving company for those five months. And that company actually ended up moving Tom Brady's stuff and Julian Edelman's stuff around. And so we got to like, I'm like, man, oh, actually, so the, the guy I was talking about, Sean Morey, he was working at that moving company before he made it to the NFL. So, like, there's some magic at that at Muldoon. over
0: there. No way yeah (laughs) so were you were you walking through tom brady's house
1: when you were no so they had moved him in prior to me getting there but those are the guys that they were working with and it was just cool to you know to be working for the company that moved his stuff around and then to be a teammate of his is is pretty cool yeah
0: no doubt well i i gotta ask you what what's it been like being in the same locker room as a guy like that i mean obviously like you know I'm, i'm sure you've been cliched the heck out of oh a guy from Massachusetts finds his way onto the Bucks roster you know where, where Tom Brady is but I guess what's, what's that experience been like with him as, as a teammate
1: uh yeah so I, there's that was like the first thing I said to him was like hey I'm, I'm from Massachusetts I've been a fan forever like I'm so glad to be a teammate <laughs> of yours and you know there are certain people that would just wave you off but he always gives you the time of day and like said what's up looks you in the eyes like gives you that moment and then probably the best part about having him as a teammate is like the way that he just carries himself and the way that he interacts with um like another teammate was working on something in the offseason and the way that he was running he tom could tell so he was like man you've really been working on that haven't you because i can tell just by the way that you're breaking your route and the way that you're finishing the route that you really put some time in he was like yeah I am I'm really I'm trying to do x y and z and like they got into this conversation I, I was just so impressed with the way that he observed and the way that he interacted and yeah, you know, I'm just really fortunate to to be in the same locker
0: room yeah definitely and and you hear stories like that too like you know everybody sees the you know the the uh, the field general on Sundays but you know he's, he's a real person too and he's also a great teammate so yeah. um that's awesome man and so let's uh Sorry, I kind of lost track here a little bit. Um, this is a question I get a lot from parents and, and especially young snappers too, um, lifting wise. Is there like a particular approach or philosophy you have to strength and conditioning? Um, do you, and, and like what advice would you have for like a young snapper or a college snapper who's trying to have their weight room work complement their on-field snapping rather than just kind of doing some random
1: workout? Yeah. So I I think the answer is not going to be as clean as everyone would like it to be. You Mm -hmm. kind of going back to the notebook, like you have to certain notes in that notebook will be, okay, if I go heavy on leg day, this is what happens to my ball. If I go heavy on upper body day, this is what happens to my ball. And you have to have that level of awareness because what I do in the weight room might affect my ball differently than what johnny in high school does um what i did in high school lifting wise i did a lot more running and a lot more um just cross sports like i'd play a lot more lacrosse i would not lift as much and then as i've gotten to higher and higher like assumption chris grotsky was my d-line coach as well as a strength coach and we got after it like we took lifting really serious and then as you get to the NFL, like I try to lift as heavy as I can in the off season. And then in season, it's more maintenance, but maintenance doesn't mean just band work. It means like, okay, these are the lifts that you can go heavy on and you got to know what days you can go heavy on. Fortunately, I have um, Paroli and all the strength guys here who do that for you, but um, you still have to be aware of, you know, where you can push it and where you can pull back and, just because you're a snapper doesn't give you the the excuse to say that you can't lift. I know Zach Diossi again, to use him, like he was a big weight room guy. There are a couple of big weight room guys out there and it doesn't affect them at all. So I think it's easy to use it as an excuse and say, well, I'm a snapper, so I can't do right. this or that, or I'm a specialist, so I can't do this or that. Well, it's not true. So get over that and figure out what actually affects it and what doesn't.
0: Right. And I think like, you know, when you're watching, nfl on tv you know sometimes maybe the kicker is a little bit smaller than a d lineman but when you're in person next to a kicker like you know most most of you guys most of the specialists the nfl are insanely good athletes like brad pingen is probably bigger than some dns in the nfl yeah Um, he's
1: he's, he's massive (laughs) what is is he like six six yeah he's like he's a good six six a true six six not the the wannabe six sixes <laughs> not
0: not the six, five and like, you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> Which is so much smaller, of course. Right.
0: <laughs> right. But but I think like like you said though, like it goes back to you want to be an athlete first who happens to snap punt or, or kick. Um, would you mind talking us through what maybe like a typical um game week consists of for you guys in terms of lifting and, and what you're what you're doing rep wise and and on what day So like let's say you had a game. You have a game on a Sunday. What does that Monday, Tuesday, and subsequent week look like for you from a, a snapping and workout perspective?
1: Yeah, so we'll lift on Monday, um, lift and run on Monday. Tuesday will be off. Wednesday will be um, the big work day. So I think you'll get another lift in there, and it will be like punt field goals. You get the whole the whole thing, and then I'll lift after that work is done and then thursday we're up again just for practice not the lift and the run and then friday we'll be up again but just a run and saturday is an activation so like a band body weight movement type of deal and then sunday you roll and so in terms of like reps and what that looks like you'll do like heavy squats or deadlifts on Monday with some tempo runs at like 75%. And then Wednesday you'll do uh, an upper body bench with a a pull. And then Friday you'll do like some movement and some, some change of direction stuff. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that especially high school, it's so easy to, to let the lifting fall off. You know, like some—I mean, some high school coaches don't have the bandwidth to to have a good strength program in season. But you know, like once you get to a certain level, you want to try to maintain that, um, especially in season. Um, what was I going to say? Okay, so kind of wrapping up here. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you're a new father. Congrats. Thank um, you. <laughs> and you know, share to the extent you're comfortable. But uh, I'm curious, how how is becoming a new father? adjusted or, or changed your life in, in you know two or three ways and you know being in the NFL is hard enough you're, you're a husband as well so um, w- what's that wrinkle been like having what
1: five five months old right yep five months yeah uh, so fortunately I have my wife Carissa and mm-hmm. we went to high school together we've been together a long time she is amazing so it makes my job really really easy um, but I so I had a little girl Indy, and having a little girl, if you've had a little girl, or I I can repeat that. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, it just like I'm so fortunate that it was a girl because as an NFL dad, I I can only imagine the pressures I would have put on a boy just because I only know, (laughs) Right, right? I only know one way, and it's what's gotten me to this level. So uh, I'm just grateful that she kind of came and softened me up. And then, um, <laughs> like, we'll go do just anything. Like, she woke up last night, at like, 150 of like, blah, 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 like, talking and laughing away. We're like, Indy, go to sleep. It's not, it's, it is not the morning. It's 150 in the morning, and you went to bed a couple hours ago. So, right. <laughs> um, but, but I just want to talk finding, about Yeah, exactly. But finding that balance between like, the nfl your job your husband as you know looking at it as a job responsibility is probably a better way the responsibilities of the nfl responsibilities right. of, of a husband responsibilities of a father responsibilities of a christian and like finding how all of those kind of come together it's difficult i think i heard it explained one way where you put a lot of effort into one and then one aspect of that kind of falls down a little bit and you go and pick that one up and something else falls down a little bit so it's certainly not perfect but you just try to you know juggle as those four balls as best you can
0: right and and you're a pretty well-read guy um actually i think one of our first times we ever interacted we did a camp up in new hampshire i think and then i remember like oh yeah like we met, met randomly via instagram or something you came did a camp had did a great job and Helped the snappers out, and then we bumped into each other at the Dartmouth bookstore, and we were in like the same business section. And I was like, "This guy is like my." You're, like, looking
1: at the same exact book, and then we looked at each other like, "Do we, do just we become, just become best become friends?" Best friends? <laughs> do you want to do karate in my basement? <laughs> um, so talk,
0: and you know, and I'm a big reader too. Um, I, you know, as a high school teacher as well, like, I, I think kids don't read necessarily enough, or or if they are reading, they're they're reading because the teacher told them to, but you're, you're, yeah, there's your education, but you have also, you know, taught yourself a lot. And so what I'm curious is what are maybe like two or three of your favorite books and what, what's one lesson that each of those has taught you that you might recommend to somebody listening to the podcast?
1: Yeah. So I have a, a stack of books that I'll carry with me. um, Just based on what season I'm in mentally or, what season I'm in spiritually or what season I'm in as a husband or a father. Um, So there's a couple of them. I'll, I'll try to give you the title and then maybe like a, a slight synopsis and hopefully that'll help. So one, obviously I told you about it earlier was the Bible. I start every morning with that. Um, And that will probably touch on a lot more than any of the other books, but that's just, that's where I start. So The second one would be The Uncommon Life by Tony Dungy, Um, and that's just an awesome like little one-page-a-day to kind of get you going where he bridges the gap between football and faith and then what's in between all of that. So that was a really good book. Um, Snapping-wise, Golf's Not a Game of Perfect is a really good one. There's a lot of carryover. I think that's why you see a lot of the specialists that golf. Um, Yep. And that's really about just trusting what you work on. And, you know, as you, if you're golfing, as you go throughout the round of 18, you want to get freer and more confident as that goes on. So um, that's a really good book. Um, Mamba Mentality, Kobe Bryant's book is another really good one. And I I think that goes without saying, but that goes to like why he had that killer instinct and kind of, the best you could do to teach that to someone Um, that that might be another conversation of nature versus nurture, but that's another really good one. Um, The unfettered mind is a really good one, but that book can is pretty much boiled down to like one page and I'll just rip that page out and read it over and over, but it's essentially like where you put your mind is, is everything. So Uh um yeah yeah, i'd say those are the like a handful of books that are are helpful Uh, on rotation right (laughs) yeah and so and it's i think going back to what you said like in high school i i was not the best student it just didn't interest me but now like i can pick whatever i want and depending on what season i am in, you can attest to this like if if you offer me a book and i'm like that's not the season i'm in i'm not gonna be like oh man i can't wait to look at that i'll be like yeah it's not gonna do it for me be like maybe maybe a month (laughs) from now (laughs) yeah um, but i think that's really important to like be aware of what season you're in and then be right. able to find something that's going to align with you right now in order to get you excited about turning that page as opposed to being like all right i'm on page 12 and it's been an hour i don't know if i want to keep going <laughs> like there there is a difference right. like not, not every book is like that
0: i know yeah i, I just have i'm sure you can attest to this there's just like stacks of books like everywhere well my house has stacks and my wife is always like have you ever read them twice? And I was like, well, I read what I highlighted, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it seems like you, and this is just like a, a side note and something that I've, I've noticed about you since we've known each other a little bit, like, it seems like you value or, you know, the value of solitude and reflection. Um, and anytime I've had a conversation with you, even if you might not feel like you have clarity, how you communicate your ideas and, and what's going on is, is always communicated with a lot of succinctness and clarity. Like I can tell that you have chewed over whatever in your mind a couple of times, whatever you're about to say. Um, where did you maybe like value that? Or I guess where does that, I mean, do you value solitude and, and, and re- like time to reflect on your own? Um and do you think that, and, and how do you think that that's maybe helped you not only as a football player, but, you know, as a person or, or in your life?
1: Yeah, I certainly do. It probably goes back to my mom putting me in timeout so much early on, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, there, there's a little story about, um, there was a boy who was looking for success, right? And he was looking for how to be the next king of the land that he was at and he long story short he goes around and asks everyone and, and no one can tell him how to be successful and how to be the next king and he finally finds this guy that's at a chicken coop selling chickens and he brings him up he was like all right if, yeah I know exactly how to do this if you need the experiences in order to get to be the next king like I know exactly what to do I'm done doing this at five. Like, meet me here, and we'll. we'll, I'll show you exactly what to do. So, he takes the boy. He he starts going through all these forests, and it takes him probably a good day. And he's complaining the whole time. Like, I don't. This is not what I was talking about. Like, I want. I just want to be king. Like, I just want to be successful. And he's going through all these hoops and all these hurdles, and. He finally, he gets to like the top of what seemed like a forever climb and he moves this last branch away and it's overlooking this vast, beautiful forest of, you know, if you're from New England, like the leaves are just beginning to change and you're overlooking all of New England, it feels like. And there's a rock, a nice flat rock there. And and the old man finally says, you know, this is exactly what it takes to be successful. All of those journeys and all of those hurdles that we just went over you have to go through those, but it's not until you sit down here by yourself and think about all of those that you will actually be successful. So it's a kind of a long, a long story, but it it was one that marinated with me where if you can go through everything, but until you sit down and realize like, okay, this is what happened. This is how I can either avoid that or do it better next time. Like you're just, you're going to be stuck in the same place.
0: Right. Yes, definitely. And that kind of, there's like a quote, how will I know what i think until i see what i write like so you know i don't know if you journal or not i I do but i think everybody has to find their own reflective practice and you know seeing a lot of young guys not not that like social media is a devil or whatever it's um but like it just seems like every little white if you're not careful every little empty quiet space in your life is going to get squeezed out if you're not aware of making time for that right um okay uh beyond football like yes you're a football guy but but you don't like to sit still so like (laughs) unlike most nfl guys you actually kind of did the opposite you have you had a, a career in finance before you made the nfl um you've done an internship with with whoop um and i know you did harvard some harvard business program but um i'm kind of curious what are your obviously nfl is the focus now but what are some of your interests or, or goals beyond football that you would like to check out? And, you know, when, once football might be over, you know, a deck, you know, whenever that happens.
1: Um, Yeah. So right now I'm focused on, on football and given that everything I have um, it's right. only like when the off season comes around and the NFL PA does a really good job with hooking us up with opportunities. So I was just, fortunate enough to kind of plug and play and get into a couple of those programs but um after football I don't really know what it looks like as I mentioned earlier I am really intrigued by the private equity space um finance in general but it especially with the election recently I'm really into and again not left or right but like political strategy and um, that level of thinking is very interesting to me so in terms of like a board seat um, that's something that i'm i'm looking into now especially with the fidelity background having just you know being able to maneuver finances and balance sheets and things like that is is helpful especially for to have that as well as NFL player on your excuse me on your resume um, right so I, I don't know it's something where I can use my head and and be of value would be great and I don't necessarily know what that looks like yet so I'll keep stumbling into these awesome programs that the NFLPA does and just keep meeting great people and kind of let it play out
0: yeah and, and they do an awesome job with that too um, I think a lot of we just we only hear about the NFL Players Association anytime there's like a contract negotiation but they, they do quite a bit behind the scenes um, so last question here uh, we've talked about this before but Um, what would be, you know, what would be the one thing you would want somebody to take away from your career
1: when it's all said and done? I think if you could look at my career and just realize that it took me three and a half years to get here with with a little bit of self-belief and blind faith, like you can accomplish pretty much anything. And I'm a testament to that. I, I know I'm in the NFL, but like I grinded it out for three and a half years. So like I, my goal was the NFL, but like if your goal is a Division I scholarship or your goal is to run your own company like it doesn't matter what it is the the process to get there is going to be the same like it's it's a matter of being disciplined. it's a matter of sacrificing it's a matter of doing the work when you don't feel like it it's a matter of having a goal and working backwards and then going back up that ladder that you just created for yourself um so if, if there was one little takeaway like it doesn't matter what your goal is as long as it's clear enough and you have enough faith in it, you can do it. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but you can certainly do it. And there's a lot of fulfillment kind of creating that ladder for yourself and taking it one step at a time. And then I think, that would that would for me, that would bring the most fulfillment if if someone you know, down the line were to say, hey, I listened to your story and I didn't give up and I, I did x, y and z. No matter what x, y and z is, that would be that would be ideal.